for downloading UW Alumni Voices. A roadmap, shaping your career through vision and goals. It's no secret that those with a clear goal and single-minded vision are in the best position to recognize opportunities as they present themselves. It's also why they are so often able to grab hold and make the most of them. In this discussion, you'll hear from alumni who've built careers driven by vision and begin zeroing in on what's important to you and what you really want to do. All right, good morning everyone. Um, and thanks for joining us um, at this panel discussion. Um, this is the Moving Forward in Your Career stream, um, and I hope that some of you uh, managed to catch the uh, speech before. It was really inspiring, so if you are wondering why there's toilet paper on your desk, uh, give, a little, give it a little search. Um, this session is a panel discussion, um, and it'll be talking about shaping your career through vision and goals. Um, my name is Andrea Bradbury, um, and I did a Bachelor of Commerce at UWA, uh, graduating in 2014. I currently work for West Australian Ballet in their marketing team, um, and we have an amazing panel today uh, for very clever, very successful entrepreneurs in their own right. Now, I'll get them to introduce themselves a little bit, but quickly, we've got to my right is Dr. Catherine Isco. Um, she's got a PhD and she's also the director of Dr. Catherine, which is a life coach company. And to my second right uh, is Charlie Gunningham. Um, he's got an MBA and is a commercialisation advisor at the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science. Next along is Aaron McDonald. He's also a director um, of his own law firm called Pragma Lawyers. Um, and he's got an LLB and an LLM. And at the very end, last but not least, is Mark Zhang. And he's got a Bachelor of Science and an MPE. He's also a director of his own company. And that is Profile uh, Injection Moulding. So to start off... Um, I'll just get the panel to introduce themselves a little bit more about uh, what they studied at uni, where they've kind of headed in their career, and perhaps a little question about whether that was what you thought you would be or where you'd go when you studied. Catherine, do you want to take it away? Sure. Hello. My name's Catherine, and essentially I help people feel better about themselves. Uh, through education and social connection. Uh, what I do today has absolutely nothing to do with any of my degrees. Awesome. <laughs> Great pick there. It doesn't, but yet it has everything to do with my degrees because essentially a degree just helps your brain think in new ways and that's really what I needed for what I'm currently doing. What were the other questions? Um, so it has where, nothing where you'd gone in your career, like wh what, where did you start and how did you kind of get to where you are right now? <laughs> so it started, uh, essentially my master's and my PhD were both in biotechnology and physiology. So I wanted to figure out why blood sugar levels change during exercise in patients with type 1 diabetes and using implantable technology. Uh, the interesting thing about that is while I was interested in the technology, I was more interested in how people relate to technology. 
why their blood sugars changed when they knew what they had to eat, they knew how much insulin to take, yet they didn't. So I was actually more interested in the psychology, so extremely long story short, I ended up going back to school to do my postgrad in counseling. And that sort of joined the physiology with the psychology. And because of my own personal background with severe body image issues and eating disorders, everything sort of culminated together and uh, essentially helps what I do today, which is fixing the person, not just the person that you see. So I love what I do. And I'm glad I went down all those rabbit holes. So rabbit holes are not bad. They just feel bad when you're in them because you have no idea what you're doing but it all will come out in the wash. Where's the great accent from? Where are you from? Take Which? a pick, you got a 50-50 chance, no boy. Chance. I'm gonna get it wrong. <laughs> Always say Canada, because you'll never piss off an American. Canada. That's right, out, out and about. I'm a Canuck, proud of it. Excellent, love Canadians. Damn straight, we're the best, other than Aussies. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Um, and Charlie, how about you? So w tell us about Hi. what you do now and then perhaps, I know you've got a, quite a long... Yeah, sorry, I just have to really shorten it down. So yep. when I was... I'm Charlie, hello, the old man on the stage. Uh, these other groovy people are far more relatable. But if I can go back to school, which is a long time ago, I was convinced I was going to be an engineer, so I did maths, physics. And then in my school in England, um, the only other option was economics. I thought, oh, I'll take that. Ended up loving economics, decided I did not want to be an engineer, ended up doing an economics degree and then teaching economics. But I wanted to come to Australia, somehow went to Singapore, taught there for eight years, played a lot of cricket, drummed in a rock and roll band, married a beautiful Singaporean girl, and we came down here eventually in 97, probably before you were even born. Never mind, it's very, very worrying. And I was teaching at Hale School, but I was doing an MBA here at UWA because I was ended up teaching business. And I thought I'd be a headmaster one day and MBA would be a useful uh, business degree to have. But 20 years ago yesterday, the 6th of December 99, I set up a dot-com. You won't remember them, they don't exist anymore, but that's what we called early stage tech companies or startups 20 years ago. Dot-coms. Everyone was setting up a dot-com, especially if you did an MBA. You came out of your MBA, and if you had a pulse and a dot-com idea, people threw money at you. It was a crazy time. Off I went with AussieHome.com, not Aussie Home Loans. Everyone thought we were Aussie Home Loans. If you remember the guy who runs Aussie Home Loans, he's about 200 kilos. Thank you very much for confusing me with him. Never mind. John Simon. Remember Aussie John? We'll save you. That guy. I'm not that guy. I was running AussieHome.com not Aussie Home Loans. Anyway, AussieHome.com succeeded, surprisingly. One of the few dot-coms to work. We sold to Rewa in 2010. I ran Rewa.com. And then I went to Business News and I was CEO of Business News, helping them with the digital transformation. Very, very long way away from an economics degree. And here I am now working for the Australian government, handing out free money to startups. How good is that? That's what I do. Do you want any free money? Come and see me. Yeah, and I'm sure that there are some here after, last, after the last keynote. So that's 36 <laughs> years broken down into two minutes. I'll, I'll just take the free money. We'll, we'll have a chat later. I really need a new pair of shoes. It's quite hard money, but it is free money. Okay? It's, quite, it's a competitive grant program, but it's a great program. Um, and Aaron, uh, what, what did you think you were going to do when you studied? You, uh, you did study law, and you are a lawyer now. Yeah. So no, I always knew I was going to be a lawyer, yeah. and um, I knew I wanted to work for myself. So those two things I foresaw happening, and that's what occurred. 
I didn't see happening is when I was going to do it. And I'm involved in other things outside my own law firm, like a tech company that's associated with the legal world. I would never have picked that I was doing that. But those sort of opportunities arose out of working for myself. And I had a pretty traditional career path out of uh, uni, did my Bachelor of Laws, became an article clerk, as they were called then, then got admitted to the Supreme Court, and then worked at a big international law firm. And then when I turned 29, I set up a law firm in Suvi, born and bred in Suvi, and that's been going for uh, just up to six years now, employs about 30 people. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, I, I think you told us that you started that company when you were 29, so that's really incredible. <laughs> and down the end, Mark, do you want to tell us about what you studied and how you got to starting your own business? Oh, um, well, I did a mechanical engineering master's degree and I have only um, finished in 2018. And uh, the year after I graduated, I worked for a private equity firm, um, which was um, doing private investments. And um, uh, when I was um, starting uni, I always wanted to do business. But then I thought, well, I don't really have to do a business degree to do business. Maybe I should do a mechanical engineering degree, which I will have to do if I um, want to be a mechanical engineer, then later on I can learn how to do bit, uh, learn how to do business in real life, and uh, that's what what I did. So I um, worked as a financial analyst for uh, one and uh, one and a half years, and learned how to uh, make money. Hopefully, well, learned well. Also learned how people lost money as well. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that's how you learn. That happens in business. What, what not to do? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, then then in the end, I yeah decided to um, make my um, own investment. So I now run a plastic manufacturing business here in Perth, and uh, which might be a little bit surprising for um, some of you here that you um, you hear a um, plastic manufacturing business actually. Um, exists here in Perth, so, but that's what I do. Yeah, that's incredible, yeah. So heading straight to the topic, goal setting. Uh, it, it can be a kind of drilled into us theory to set a goal, achieve the goal, you know where you're going, you'll re- achieve it. How, what's your personal opinions on goal setting? Do you use goal setting? Do you use it in more of a holistic kind of your life goal setting? Do you use it mainly for your career? Charlie, did you want to jump in? I'm a bit contrary. So <laughs> I love contrary. I don't think you should be completely aimless, but I really don't think you should have a set goal, uh, except for maybe my man on the right, um, who had a set goal and he's done it, and that's amazing. Uh, and to start a law firm when you're 29, actually, that's pretty heroic. Cause it's a very old and usually male-dominated 50s, 60s-year-olds usually own law firms, not 20-year-olds. That's impressive. I think goals can, you know, long-term vision maybe, where you want to move towards, or the industry, I want to be a not-for-profit and save the world through toilet paper or whatever it is. I doubt he had that vision when he was 16. Probably came to him through university here and then later. So I didn't really have long-term goals apart from um, I changed it to teaching and then I wanted to teach in Australia but how to actually do that that then became quite a lot of uh, looking at whether I do an exchange or whatever and then a job came up 
quite amazingly in Singapore. And I thought, eh, Singapore, I almost didn't go to the interview. In fact, when I wrote a letter, handwritten back then in 1989, to the headmaster, uh, it had a spelling error in it. I didn't know this at the time. And he almost, amazing how your life can balance. I might not have even met my wife, but for that spelling error. He almost threw it in the bin and said, well, we're not interviewing this guy. He can't even spell, right? I almost didn't get an interview. And then when they said, um, okay, we'll call you for an interview, I couldn't make the first day of the interview. I couldn't make that interview. I was taking my cricket team on a tour of Kent and I couldn't go to the interview. So he said, I can't make that interview. I've been planning this cricket tour and I've taken my boys' team, my first 11, to Kent. And he went, mm. And again, they almost gave up on me then. And then they gave me a second time and I couldn't make that either because it was the end of term and I had to be there. I was head of department. Couldn't miss the end of term to go on interview. So the third chance they gave me an, an interview and I had to get on a train and go up to Liverpool and I was interviewed. Uh, it was weird, actually. I was interviewed in the deputy headmaster's mother's front lounge. It was very odd. And I didn't know at the time, he's actually deaf in his left ear, and he kept looking at me weirdly with his right ear like that. And I thought, this is a strange person. Anyway, I got the job. And then within six, and I went there. Uh, Singapore, I went, okay. Did not, and I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved the expat life in Singapore, teaching in Singapore. It was, that was no way that was a goal of mine when I was at school or even at uni. So, and it, was so a, it was a launch pad to come to Australia and then we went on from there. Yeah, so you perhaps had goals of kind of a, uh, a general idea of what you wanted to do, but you were mm. just open to opportunities. Definitely. That's kind of your more open approach. To opportunities. In fact, yeah? I would say when the opportunities, by being out there, opportunities uh, result. Don't worry about it. Don't fret. There will be opportunities. And then be wise enough to go for the opportunity and take it. And take it. And don't necessarily take the road well-traveled, take, take a weird sort of left turn, go jump off a ledge. <laughs> What's the worst that happened? You're in your early 20s, you've got loads of time to recover. Nothing wrong's gonna happen. Go jump off a ledge, right? Please go do it. You live once, don't regret. Mind. Go do these things, Mind. unexpected. Don't worry about your parents, it's your life. Go jump off a ledge and enjoy it. <laughs> Mike, did you have a similar approach to that? With your business, was it that that was a? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, was yeah, it kind yeah. of open to opportunities? But you you wanted to work for yourself, didn't you? So you. Yeah, you, I did. Uh, that was because the goal. When I was um, talking with my boss, when I was um, working for the the company, he said to me that the good thing about being a uh, being a boss is that no one is there to fire you, so <laughs> so you can do anything you want, which is. Was that the goal then? <laughs> to some extent, but uh, <laughs> but uh, then I realized that um, now I have to pay the wages, which is not always <laughs> really very nice. <laughs> but um, I I always thought I needed to um, take more risks when I'm young and um, having the, the the energy to do that. And I thought if I get married and have a wife and have um, kids, then it's uh, then it's hard for me to take more risks and I w might be thinking about how to look after my, my family all the time. And yeah, when you talk about money stuff and um, financial stuff, it's, yeah, then I thought I will have to do this when I'm very young and that, that was what I did. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point actually um, about goal setting is that you perhaps have goals that 
if they're not um, time motivated, they might have to slot into your life goals, like having a family or buying a house or um, whatever goals you might have to do with your life. Catherine, did you have any of those kind of, did you? I'd actually be interested to, um, how many people here know exactly what they want to do? Well, good on you. So you're, you're, this actually works. You can put it all the way up. One, two, three, four. Okay, how many people kind of know what they want to do? And how, For those of you on the podcast, that's about half the room. Yeah. Oh, before that, like four hands went up. Yes, right? before that With four hands, goals. that's right. And how many people have no idea what they want to do? That's okay. Be proud. Go for it. Yeah, so probably about like a half a dozen. So that's a good indication about goal setting. Some people here are going to be uh, find goal setting really, really beneficial because you know what you want to achieve and you just have to work back from that. So that's one thing I would recommend is rather than working forward saying, okay, I want to get there, so what's my first step? Think backwards. So what are the steps to get you there? The people who have a general idea, what I would suggest is talk to people in those areas because you might talk to someone and figure out, okay, what exactly do I actually have to do for a nine to five job or is it a seven day a week job? And maybe that doesn't fit with you. For the people who have absolutely no idea what they wanna do with their life, I only figured this out a couple of years ago, that's okay too. You actually have the most potential because the thing is there can be something that you have no idea that you're gonna be passionate about that's gonna hit you in the face one day and you are your life is going to change and it's going to feel fantastic so regardless of where you are goal setting is important but it's not critical it really depends on where you're at that's what i would suggest yeah yeah and um aaron how do you think like did you you set the goal to kind of start your own business is that that was your i, th- I think what mark said really resonated yeah. with me because the um stakes are low at 29 because yeah. i had just had a i had a mortgage and i got a little line of credit on my house it was 80 i got eighty thousand dollars and i did i'd never seen a cash flow statement before i drew up my own and i worked out that i could go eight months without any money through the door mm-hmm. before i'd have to turn it all in yeah whereas if I was married with kids, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have been able to take those sorts of risks. So I think yeah. the opportunity is much higher there because if, yeah. you, if you fall flat on your face, it really doesn't matter. You'll be yeah. fine. And I mean, you do talk about risk taking, um, I guess, as entrepreneurs. But as you said, it's very calculated risk. Like you haven't just kind of gone, "I'm going to do this," and I have no idea how long I have to make my business profitable. I have no idea who my clients are going to be. You know, you've taken all of the variables that you know that you can take out yeah. of it and worked on those and then gone, okay, within this scope, what, where, can I, where can I go to? Yeah, it's, I think once you've narrowed it all down, it just comes down to a bit of a leap of faith and backing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I remember working at a big law firm and on Friday night I would be down on St George's Terrace drinking, drinking with my friends and then I remember a week or two into working for myself, I was... Friday night in the office by myself working, and it was, I, but I loved it. It was such a weird feeling, and it was, it was because that I was doing it for myself. And that was something I, I knew I was in the right place. Yeah, and I guess because of that, that working for yourself and feeling like it sat well with you, mm. was that the motivator for, like, I, I guess a lot of us work for our, our spare time. 
was that part of why you chose that path? Like, was that part of the goal setting? Was that I'm going to do all these things to have that feeling of like, oh, I can finally do this. It's all for me. Maybe, but <laughs> in I, a non-selfish I, way. <laughs> possibly, but like I wouldn't. I wasn't like writing down goals every day, and yeah. I knew that's what I wanted to do, and it was in the back of my mind, and yeah. I wasn't aimless like Charlie says. But yeah. yeah, I just wanted to. I had a deep burning desire to work for myself. Um, can I pick up a point what Mark said of as course, well? Yes. Is you're weirdly more secure when you're working for yourself. Did you feel that, Aaron and Mark? I mean, uh, and, and yourself, Catherine. Mm. You're not going to be fired because you're the <laughs> boss. As long as the business succeeds. Yeah, I, I saw people who come off the MBA and they, they'd got great jobs down on the terrace, right? And I thought, wow, they've been there and made it. And I was struggling around on my little dot-com, which took like two or three years to get profitable. And, you know, it was a struggle. And there were times, certainly in those first couple of years, where I did not know how we were going to make payroll at the end of the month. And that is stress like you wouldn't believe. And I was having sleepless nights and it wasn't, wasn't good. And by then I did have a baby and another on the way. So that was like triple whammy and obviously my wife gave up work because we're having kids and all that so there were really real worries there but once you uh, once you got to the stage where it was uh, it was because down on its own two feet it was immensely rewarding to run your own company in charge of your own decisions and your own mistakes so when things worked and it really worked you got immense reward from that and when you stuffed up they were your stuffs ups and then you could fix it right but there were people, there were parallel universe. I could have come out of the MBA and gone and got a nice job down the terrace. A lot of my friends did. And what hit me by a thunderbolt after a couple of years was someone I thought had really been there and made it and was, was earning you know, a huge salary um, and going off and having a great time. Suddenly, a company in Germany takes over a company in Switzerland that owned his company and he's made redundant. And it's like that. It happened like in a few hours. And he's out on the dust heap looking for a job. That does not happen to you, I don't think, if you're, if you're master of your own domain as much. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm more secure. Some faceless bureaucrat has just made a decision that's impacted his life. And that happens all the time in corporate life. But it's okay to work for other people. Yeah. Don't worry. It's okay. It's scaring the crap out of them. start oh. with. Yeah, because you can learn something, right? Yeah, you can. Yeah. How many people want to work for themselves here? Just curious. Uh, oh, the hands went up. No, not half. No, Can you count? There's quite a few who, you know, I know you want to. No. Um, Catherine, uh, you said that you just recently found out what you want to do, or your passion, I guess. Um, what was the kind of trigger? Like, what, what made you kind of go, oh, wow, this is it? Ooh, good question. Uh, I think the main thing is, is uh, work shouldn't feel like work. And it's fun, my partner is here today, and um, we both feel like we never actually work a day in our lives, and I think that's how it should be, because that's when I think the overbearing stress really comes in. For me, for me it was really purpose and passion. Uh, after I went back to do my postgrad in counseling, and just, I guess, touching base on the theoretical approaches and so forth and working with people, that's when I know, ah, that's it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, a lot of people think that they're gonna have a light bulb moment, you know, everyone <laughs> wants this light bulb moment. I don't, it's very challenging for those to happen. I sort of talk about dimmer switches. You know how some days you're like, oh, this is all making sense, and the next day you're in the dark. You have no idea what's going on, which is, which is okay. Um, but my, my thing was actually, after I finished my doctorate, everyone was making like mint cash, helping people lose weight. You know, like the Michelle Bridges and the Kayla Itsteins, or Einsteins, however you say it. 
And I was thinking, here I am, I have a doctorate in the area, like I've trained Olympic athletes, I'm gonna make some serious cash here. But I felt like a fraud because essentially I was trying to sell the idea that when you lose weight, when you look great, you're gonna be happy. And that's just not true. So for me, it was actually talking and working with people and understanding that they too, like me, were thinking, oh, when you're beautiful, when you're perfect, when, you're, when you have the body of your dreams, you're, you're not gonna be happy. And I found, I guess, quote unquote, my, my tribe. And that's really when I found my passion. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a word which I think is probably a good talking point, is that idea of purpose. Mm. That kind of, that thing that drives you. Do you think purpose is perhaps more your goal line? Like for achieving me, that purpose? Yeah, for me, a good litmus test is when I wake up in the morning, am I excited for my day ahead? That's a really simple way. The other, the other thing, there's this kind of, I think it's Japanese that, you know, the four circles. Oh, yes. Un, unagi, I want to say, or that's a sushi, isn't it? <laughs> that's from friends. <laughs> but, but there's this diagram with four circles. It's sort of like a quadruple Venn diagram, and it has what does the world need? What do you enjoy doing? What do you get paid for? And there's something else. Someone Google it. We'll, we'll call it unagi for now. Um, but if you look at that, that's a great way to figure out your purpose. And finding the, the purpose is the yeah. middle bit where they all intersect. That's it. Okay. That's where the shit happens. <laughs> and hopefully you can make money off of it and that's a career. And that's, yeah, exactly. Start a sushi place. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, was there a level of purpose to your, your goal setting? Like, is there a deeper purpose perhaps that drives you? I think, I, f I feel like, I feel like your purpose is almost like hacking business. Like I feel like you've got this great mind for business even though you perhaps didn't study it. It's just kind of, you just seem to like attract it. Was that perhaps like just smashing business as the purpose? Well, my, my purpose was always that I wanted to do things related to China because I think the, the country is really impacting um, really impacting the whole world yeah. and I was always finding ways to relate the business to there and uh, I was looking at the investments and they do the well the business now I run many um, make buckets and <laughs> when you when you think about buckets it's quite simple there's nothing complicated <laughs> about buckets <laughs> but uh, but when you think about buckets, there are different sizes of, um, well, sizes of buckets. You have uh, one liter, you have uh, two liter, 10 liter. But the problem uh, with the one liter bucket, when I was looking at it, is that it's too small. What happens when it's too small is that you can, you can ship tons of buckets, small buckets, from China to here and sell them. And the unit freight is very low. So it's more feasible to do importing for smaller items. Th then I was looking at the larger buckets, 20 liter. Then I thought, oh, wow, you can only put maybe three to 4,000 um, of that into a um, 40 foot container. Then I thought, oh, wow, maybe we should make them here. Then there's more profit. Then I thought, oh, well, why don't we combine the 
production capacity. When people come to us and say, well, I, wanna, I want a larger buckets, 200, well, I will make them here. And if people say, well, I want 100,000 small items, then they say, oh, well, no problem. The price will be much lower because it's from, from overseas, from China. Then uh, by doing that, we can always remain very competitive for um, the prices. So what, <laughs> even if, when you, <laughs> when I was thinking about, <laughs> Think about buckets, there, there, is, there is actually a business model there. And somehow I made it work and now I took, <laughs> now we started to um, make our um, fifth order from, from China and um, still making them here locally as well. So making money um, here in Perth and uh, making money in China. And then what about you, Charlie? Did mm. you, do you think that purpose perhaps drove you on this path? Was there a purpose towards anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I was a school teacher. I thought I'd be a headmaster. That was my sort of goal. Uh, eventually, that's why I did the MBA. But coming out of the MBA here, it had changed me in some respect. And I found that very much I gravitated towards the business people on the course rather than the teachers at the school. So I had sort of two groups of people I was interacting with as I was running to my MBA classes and then going back to teach a class of economics and then running back doing a a lecture or a tutorial or whatever. I was gravitated towards business and, and I thought, well, it was a moment actually. I was walking down a uh, beautiful, pristine, white, sandy beach in Esperance with my wife, Easter 99, and I stopped and I'd been very quiet for two days, which as you can probably tell is unusual for me. <laughs> so Lisa knew something was up and I stopped and I said, I don't want to teach anymore. I want to go and do something else. And you're like, when you have these feelings and, and they keep coming back to you day after day, you sort of put them away maybe, you're going, well, it's a stupid thought. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean? Um, and then they keep coming back to you. Keep on, and I know after a while, that's why I left England for Singapore, why I left Singapore to come down here, and then left teaching to go and do a crazy startup venture. It just keeps coming back to you and nagging after a while, you know, week after week. You stop, literally, as I did in the sand, and go, I've got to go and do this. And having a wonderfully supportive partner, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this year, she immediately said to me, before I'd even finished the sentence, go do it. Yeah. And when you have a venture uh, and an amazingly supportive partner, it really makes it easier to go and take that leap. Right? I sort of made it a bit blasé earlier. It is a big step. But, you know, teaching's not going away. If it didn't work, Right? You've got time to recover. I can go back and teach. Well, I've lost a year. At least I would have got it out of my system. I'd have done something. I didn't want to be that teacher like 10, 15 years later that was a bit sardonic and sarcastic and been passed over promotion too many times, mm -hmm. sitting in the corner of the staff room, thinking to myself, why didn't I start that crazy real estate dot-com idea back in 99? There's now dot-coms all over the place. Real estate has gone online. Back then it was, by the way, the newspaper. You believe we used to go to the newspaper on a Saturday to get our real estate information? Then we had to wait a whole week until next Saturday again. These big real estate sections were 125 pages thick in the paper. Now they're gone. It's all gone online. That happened over 10 years. So we saw that trend and we thought we want to get on that trend. And I'm glad we gave it a go. But sometimes you need a bit of a push, supportive partner, maybe a good idea. I also had a co-founder 
a guy I'd met on the MBA who was a bit older than me and he'd done businesses before, so that gave me confidence and he'd come up with the idea. So I suppose the stars were aligning and I thought, we'll do it. Raise the money and off we went. Yeah, I think we spoke um, mm. earlier about that feeling of being too comfortable. Like, you know, mm. when you're not reaching your full potential, when you're sitting there it's going... It's not a challenge anymore. Yeah, you're yeah. like, I don't enjoy this anymore. It's not fun. And um, that's when you need to shake it up, do something different. That's true. If you look at all theories of motivation, right? Hertzberg theory of motivation, etc. in business challenge, being challenged, and then thinking that you're making a difference is a massive motivator. Just being paid for a job is not. You'll be incredibly satisfied when you get that job because it's competitive, right? 100 people go for that job, and you get it. That's amazing. But I tell you what, do you feel like that on your first day? Fantastic. Do you feel like that after three years? You don't. You don't. So you want to be challenged. You want to move. You want to make a difference. You want to do something. It's not pay. Pay, you can, they can throw buckets of money at you. Even 20 litre buckets rather than one litre buckets. <laughs> and after a while, you'll want a 22 litre bucket of money. It's not going to motivate you more. Money does not, intrinsic does not motivate you for very long. Yeah. It's the challenge and making a difference and feeling like you're really enjoying, like what you said, absolutely bang on. Unagi. Ikigai. 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 That's what it is, right? That's what really, finding your true purpose, right? all the stars align, that's what gets you up in the morning, gets the heart pumping. You skip to work. It's no longer work anymore. It's just great. Yeah, I totally agree. You've got to find that. Find uh, that, all right? Should I be skipping to work Keep now. looking till you find it. Um, all right. We've got to ask some questions uh, from our audience soon. But just while they're thinking of questions, do we want to just say a, a one piece of advice that we might be able to give to these bright young things in front of us about their career and goal setting? Do you, do you want to start, Aaron? Certainly from my perspective, um, my grades when I was leaving uni, they were nothing flash. But I think one of the things that I've done that has helped me is I've worked really hard. My dad always says success is, 90, what is it, 99% perspiration and 1% brains or something, something, something like that. But it's so true. I see so many people, particularly in my profession, who are far smarter than me, but I, think, I don't think that they apply themselves much so yeah that, that'll be my yeah hard thing. work goes yeah. a long way i'm sure you're all aware of that but hard work honestly does especially when you're young um when you don't know a lot working hard makes the difference um what do you think sorry the other thing i would say is that i remember at this level entering the workforce yeah. i worked at three different law firms at the same time only because i was just so desperate to get experience and some of them I worked for free to begin with and then they paid me and I was at one law firm I just sat in front of the photocopier for weeks <laughs> but it got my foot in the door I mean for those that are graduating into the legal profession jobs are very tight um, getting leaving university and going into the workforce but once you ha once you have a job at a law firm you're you can go anywhere you want after you've got three years experience so, and the reason people get jobs isn't because they, their grades are better than others, although that's a contributing factor. The reason people get jobs is because they, they, know, the, they know the decision makers, they've developed a relationship. And I, that's what I did really well when I was at uni. I worked at all these different law firms, I knew all these people, and that's how I got my foot in the door. We'll, we'll give Aaron a shot, he's a, he's a sure thing. You know, we've met him, he's not, there's not a risk there. That's the way I see it now. And I would have thought that that applies to lots of different 
um, professions, just not just law. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think sometimes we can forget that the people that at the top are just people and that they have interests just like the rest of us and being their friend is just as important as being a good worker. So, yeah. What do, what do you think, Mark? What's your one takeaway? Oh, I think that would be know what you want, try your best and hope for the best. <laughs> Trying your best is very important. Because you, <laughs> you will never know what will happen tomorrow. So... <laughs> All you can do is to try your best for today and see what happens. Yeah, make your mum proud. What about you, Charlie? Um, most of the jobs you'll be doing in the next five, ten years have not been created yet. That's exciting, sounds a bit scary, uh, but people will be looking for really smart, hardworking people who try their best, who work really well in teams, can work independently on their own, can solve problems, that's really what it's all about, solving problems for customers, right? Those sort of people will be in high demand throughout any industry, whether you're in research, whether you're in management, whether you're in not-for-profit, whether you're a teacher, whatever you do, whether you're in ballet, that's what they're looking for, right? So go and, yes, intern at various companies. We, when I was at Business News, we always had interns. I was amazed. If anyone asked us for internship, the answer was yes. You want to come in for six weeks and eight weeks and really apply yourself? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. That's the sort of people we want. Yes, yeah, so crazy. So go and do it. Go and do that. You'll go and get connections and networks. Perth's got a very small business community. You want to work in a certain industry? Bash down the door. Get in there. <laughs> yeah, I used to work in advertising and we had people turn up at the door literally handing mm. resumes. And that was, you know, every, every time we said yes. Any, any time that someone turned up at the door and wanted to work for free, we'd be like, please, come in. Here's a computer. Mm. Sit down. <laughs> I'm sorry, can I have a quick tip? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't just send your CV in. 143 competitors, right? Ring up. Did you get my CV? Have a question about the interview. What are you looking for? What do I need to bring for the interview? Amazing the number of people that don't do that. As an employer, the one or two people that bother to do that, oh, they go on the A-pile. I'm waiting to see what they look like when they turn up. They rang up. No one else did that. This person's special. Just a phone call, for goodness sake. It is scary, though, isn't it? Because you feel like you don't want to bother them or like you no, don't, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. just humans. Ring up the uh, head of HR and just talk to them about the job. What are you looking for? What can I bring? Uh, anything else you require from me? Yeah. Oh, set you apart. No one else does that. Yeah, it's never going to be detrimental to ask questions. And what about you, Catherine? What's your one piece of advice? I think a good segue is what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen when you call? What's the worst thing that could happen when you send your resume in? Um, when I was 23, I went bankrupt for a quarter million dollars because I was very passionate about food and I started a restaurant and catering company in sort of northern Canada. Don't do that. And yeah, just went bankrupt. I'm still here, still went to school for 10 years. I have not good my health. Like really, even if bankruptcy is the worst thing, worst thing that you think that could happen, it isn't. It's just, it's just a bump in the road and sure as shit, you're gonna have a lot of bumps, bumps in the road. So and that's just one of them. They always say how you recover from failure is shows your real character. So Yeah, and you learn. You learn. I learned don't open up a restaurant and catering <laughs> business in northern Canada when you're 21. <laughs> yeah. All right. Does, has that inspired anybody to have a question? Does anyone have anything they'd like to 
Rob, Hands are shooting up. Thank you, guys. That was that was very very helpful. Um, but my question is more about uh, work-life balance. So uh, to take it personally and relate it back to me, so both m myself and my partner, our careers are starting up and taking you know going up. But we have two kids as well. So how do you balance the the family, the care of the kids, with the careers, and between the two people? Is it still in the traditional sense that you know the mom does it all, or is it balanced, or whoever takes care takes a step back in their career? How does it really work? I'll, I'll say that I think the word balance is sort of um, an older term. I think if we look at it as work-life integration, so how can we how can we meld the two together? Uh, I don't think that one person, like for example, I'll give my partner a shout out here. He does all the laundry, all the ironing, and the dishes and everything. No, you can't have him. He's mine, all mine. Um, so I think those sexist stereotypical roles are, are long out. Um, I love cooking. Uh, he loves eating. So that's our sort of deal. You know, you, you work out what works well for you. But I think throwing out the idea of this whole balance, because balance seems like if one is down, one is up and one is, you know what I mean? If you, if you try to figure out how can you integrate things, uh, I think that works a lot better, if that helps. And kind of, I guess, work to your advantages. Like you say, you like cooking, so that's your yeah. thing, find your... And both my partner and I, uh, we actually own a public company together as well, so we actually work together as well. So sometimes on date night, we'll talk about you know, work, but we both love it. So that's the way that we integrate it together. So it's just, you know, whatever works for you. And Aaron, do you to jump in? Yeah, I, I think that's right. Whatever works for you. With, with me, I think you've got to find out what your own rhythm is. Like, I, um, I'm a morning person. I love getting up early, like 5 a.m. and um, maybe doing some exercise and then working on my laptop. But come 5 or 6 o'clock at night, I'm completely shattered. I've got this, like, decision fatigue and I can't keep making decisions and so I've got up been looking at my phone all day looking at a computer screen all day running around phone calls so I like I'm, this is the theory it doesn't necessarily always be always be the practice I like to put sort of my get home put the mobile phone down and leave it leave it alone for a while Saturday is always my day sort of of rest I sort of I sometimes work on Sundays this week I'm gonna this weekend I'm gonna work on Saturdays rest on Sunday um, and then just sort of try and press the I feel like it pressing the reset button on your computer. I'm doing that on my head when I have a, have a break on the weekend. But I think I, I know guys who um, are hopeless in the mornings that are totally really good at night and they'll send you emails at 2 a.m. But, but they work really well like that. No, I don't. Did anyone else want to jump in? Just on work-life balance, I agree. Um, my family gives me my balance. My kids, to me, that's way more important than anything I do in business. Way more important. Being a dad, far more important. Being a husband, being a friend. So time for me and my friends. Um, time, me and my family, real golden time. Time for just me. I go golf, I go for a run, go whatever. Go and watch a cricket game, right? That's balance. And then when I work, I'm essentially very lazy. When I work, I work damn hard because I really value time away from work. And too many people never switch off. They are checking their emails throughout the evening don't do that. Turn it off, right? That your boss should not expect you to be working at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night at home answering emails. If they do, you're working for the wrong boss. Leave. Uh, did anyone else have a question? Oh, you've got the mic. 
Go for it. Sorry, uh, jump to the queue. Um, thank you all for your time. We really appreciate you being here. Very inspirational. I'm pretty sure half the room want to start businesses now and work for ourselves. So yeah. Myself included. <laughs> um, kind of following on from that as well, I'm going to talk about balance as well, but in a bit of a different perspective. Um, w how would you balance the philosophies of taking the leap when you're young and mortgageless to do something exciting, do something risky, compared to... Not, not Unagi, but the other one. <laughs> Ikigai. <laughs> the Ikigai, thank you. Uh, where your purpose is kind of, it, all the stars align for you. You've got the experience, you've got the know-how, you've got the network, you've got the confidence. Where, where does it shift to a point where you, you take the risk when early or to a point where you wait until, I don't know, wait's a good word, but until you're ready or you feel you're ready? You will never be ready. <laughs> Ever. Ever. You'll know when it's right. Yeah. I actually started my business when I was 36, fairly old. Although, in fact, the average age of startup founders is 43. You may be surprised. I'm meeting founders all day long, and a lot of people are in their 50s, and they're doing their first business. What I, when I interview them, I got a podcast. Shout out to the Startup West podcast. But if you go and um, I always ask them, the founders, about their school life. And nearly always you could see they were doing stuff at school, right? They were running a magazine, or they were in the debating club, or they were head girl or something, you know, they showed it early. That was, I, I believe, behaviors are set when you're seven, right? If people haven't been told no by the time they're seven, they're gonna have tantrums at aged 55 when they're told no, and I've seen it. And I've, so I've seen people in tantrums, I've gone, wow, you weren't told no when you were seven. I think that was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, did anyone else, Mark, did you wanna Well, I think on? getting yourself ready to do things is like losing weight. You can just eat first and uh, do it tomorrow. There is always tomorrow for you. Yeah. So it's like that. Yeah. And what's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, it's, it's scary though. I totally it's scary. Kidding. Yeah, nothing really can nothing. happen. I mean, I think, I think you just know, like you listen to your gut. There's a lot of research now that is looking at this concept of an internal compass. Um, we are so looking for external validation and for other people to say, yeah, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready. But you guys are smart. You know, don't underestimate your intelligence. You'll know when the time is right. And let me just tell you, it's not going to go perfectly. About 80% is going to blow up in your face, but don't let that distract you from where you want to go. It's, it's not going to be perfect. And don't blame yourself for that. That's just... That's life. And I think the fact that you're even here and all of you, yeah. by the way, thank you for coming and spending your Saturday. Right. Um, I think the fact that you're even here shows a lot about who you are as a person. So That's I it. think don't underestimate Agreed. that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, does anyone else have one, maybe one more question? Uh, thank you for your contributions uh, over the last hour. Uh, I just had a question about planning out your career and figuring out what, uh, what you're passionate about and what you want to do and how to set your career pathway. So what are some practical steps that you can take early, in the early stages of your career for you to figure out what, where you want to be in the future? Do you want to tell us what you're doing or thinking of doing? Uh, so um, I'm currently studying at university. I'm doing a MPE, um, Masters of Engineering, um, and um, I'm also working at the moment. And wave a magic wand. Do you know where you want to be in five years, ten years? Like if 
anything was possible, what would that be? So at the moment, I'm leaning towards working as an engineer, but I also want to try out different things. But I don't know the process by which to try things out mm -hmm. and figure out. What are the different things? Yeah, exactly. So uh, what's your name? Uh, Alvi. Alvi, yep. Uh, so uh, I've been interested in a few different things. Um, one would be to, as, with the, as is the case with many of you, um, to uh, have an idea and start a business with that idea. Uh, another one would be to take research, current research, and be able to uh, create a business out of it. Is, so. there, is there somebody in your profession much more experienced than you in engineering that you look up to, that you can reach out to and have a chat about? I suppose there is. Uh, That's what I'd probably recommend doing. I'd find that person, go and take them out for a coffee and just be open and transparent with them about what you're thinking. And I think they'll probably help you guide, guide you. And I wouldn't direction. worry about where it's going. Get your first job in engineering, right? Have fantastic mentors. Be open to new experiences, new opportunities to go there, go here. You've got less tying you down. If it doesn't work out, you've got loads of time to recover. I mean, you have decades to recover, right? There's no way what I was doing in my 20s has got much related to what I'm doing now. I'm in my 50s. God, you're old, right? <laughs> and I don't know, even know what I'll be doing in five years' time. My contract finishes in June. I have no idea what I'm doing in July 1. Maybe I'm doing this, maybe I'm doing something else, right? Wow, it's exciting. So go and do your first thing. Don't sweat it. You're in your 20s. There's loads of opportunities by doing great work. Uh, that's got to be the takeaway, right? Mm -hmm. By being open to new opportunities. When you get too comfortable, deliberately jump off a ledge and do something different. Right? These will all be amazing life experiences for you. As, as the lawyer on the panel, I disclaim any liability from people jumping off ledges. <laughs> it's a figurative ledge. I don't mean literally jump off a ledge. I think probably to sum up um, what we've just done, even just having this conversation with someone that you trust and respect and just kind of doing a little bit of soul searching kind of helps. And I know it's like super spiritual but I think it, it just kind of figuring out what you want and what will make you happy is probably the, the starting point and then just having this conversation with someone in your industry I think really helps to, to try and make that practical <laughs> all right um, well thank you all for coming um, and can we give the panelists a round of applause um,